you. Uh, great to see you here at the EU public meeting. If I haven't met you before, my name is Rowan Kemp. Uh, I'm privileged of working alongside the EU here as a staff team leader. And it's my privilege this year to look with you at a fantastic book in the Christian Bible, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, many years ago now. And we're going to look at it over in a couple of sort of bursts throughout the year. So this week and next week, and we'll have a break while we'll do some other things. Then we'll come back at the end of the semester, a few more weeks, and then again in two bites. So we're going to sort of work through this particular book of the Bible as one of our projects in the EU public meeting this year. So I'm glad you could join us for it. If you've brought a Bible, it would be really helpful to get that out, open up to the book of Romans, because we'll be looking at that each time we gather together. If you didn't bring a Bible today, then maybe you might be able to look on with the person next to you. That would be really helpful as well. There's a note, some outlines. Um, inside the outline, you might like to follow along, take quite a few things down that helps you. And I'd love to have any comments or questions you've got as well, which you can jot down on your Connect card, and there'll be buckets you can put those in on your way out, that'd be great. Now, many years ago, I guess if you wanted to make a public announcement, what you did was you went and you offered to buy the town crier a pint of lager at the pub and gave him the message and the town crier, you know the guy with the bell? They were mostly guys with a bell and sort of wacky clothes and you know, that sort of town cry. So you go and pay him and he would announce your public message, You'll make your grand public announcement for you. These days, of course, you don't need a town cry to make a grand public announcement. If you want to announce something to the world, how do you do it? Facebook, of course. That's how you make a grand public announcement. John is in a relationship. <laughs> John is not in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, at all. Unlike, unlike, unlike. Um, unless you like John, which you like, like, like. Um, uh, I used Facebook this week to make a grand public announcement. Uh, not that I'm in a relationship. I've been married for 16 something years, um, so that's, I am in a relationship. <laughs> the grand announcement I made on Monday was finally surprisingly, to those who know me, after eight years, I finally had a new phone. That's right, I'd had the one phone for eight years. This phone was so old, and there should be a joke there, but I don't have one. Um, but actually, it's so old that people in the EU, friends in the EU, say to me, wow, I had that phone when I was in year five. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about a phone that is so old that when I, sometimes it says, it's received a message, right? And it says, cannot understand message. Because it's a picture, and it only works in black and white text. It's got no cap capabilities for understanding it. Oh, this is a seriously old phone. Second hand when I got it. Eight years, though. It has served me well. Finally, those Monday, I got a new phone. I went straight to Facebook. Buy the phone! <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> to say, I have a new phone. And I, that was my grand public announcement. What do you reckon if the one true living God wanted to make a public announcement, what would his grand public announcement be? If he was going to do a status update on Facebook, what would the one true living God post? What would he say? What we're going to look at today in the beginning of this book of Romans is, is the fact that the one true living God has made a grand public announcement. Which is why I've called today's talk, Listen Up. God has something to say. 
So if you open your Bible there to the book of Romans, you can see God's grand public announcement. Of course, in the Bible, what that's called is it's called a gospel. What's God's grand public announcement? It's this. That Jesus is the Christ and Lord. Now, if you're not well versed in the Bible, those words are going to sound very jargony. You're not quite sure. Okay, I've heard what you said, but how is that a grand public announcement? Well, that's what we're going to explore today. So I hope at the end of this little time together that you go, I get why Christians believe that that is a grand public good news announcement. That so this word gospel just means grand public announcement. Uh, it's not a gospel is not a particularly Christian word. If you go back to sort of the first century, uh, gospel just means grand public announcement. And things like when Caesar returned to Rome with his troops victorious from battle, there will be proclaimed Caesar's gospel, Caesar's grand public announcement. We have been, I have been victorious over the blah blahs. And that will, be the, that will be the gospel announcement. That's all the word means, right? It's not a particularly religious word. It just means public announcement. What's God's public announcement? Well, let's read it. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to, his, as to the flesh was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. There is God's gospel, God's grand public announcement. Let's look at some of the facts Paul points out there, just to get it clear in our heads. First of all, God's gospel is promised beforehand. See that there, verse 2? The gospel, the announcement, he promised beforehand. When I got a phone on Monday, that was a, 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 an amazing surprise to those who knew me because, you know, I'd had the same phone for eight years. But if, over the last year or so, I'd been going regularly via Facebook, Rowan's going to get a new phone. 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 And then finally on Monday I went, Rowan has a new phone! Everyone probably would have gone... Wow, and I might have got even more than the 23 likes that I got. <laughs> 23, now, <laughs> bad. Anyway, because that's what Facebook's about, isn't it? Getting likes. Anyway. Um, do you see that? Because when it's promised beforehand, when it finally arrives, you go, wow, that's fantastic. God's grand public announcement was what he had promised for a long time. He promised through his prophets who had written down in the Old Testament this great promise that one day he would finally send his Christ. His just means anointed one. Another word for it is Messiah. One day he would send this individual, his Christ, his Messiah, who stands at the centre of the living God's promises for the whole world. This was what was promised. This is what he announces. He is here. He's come. He's this man, Jesus. That's the announcement promised beforehand. Concerning his son, it's about his son, that's what he says there. Promised beforehand through the scriptures regarding his son. Now if you're a, 
been around Christian things for a while and you understand that the teaching of the Christian Bible is that the one true living God is Father, Son and Spirit. Right? You've heard that before. Trinity. The idea of God is Trinity. And so some people might read this and go, oh, regarding his Son, is he talking about God the Son, the second person of the Trinity? Uh, I don't think that's what Paul means here when he uses the word Son. Because if you chase up the reference I've got up there, one, just one example, Psalm 2, verse 12, you'll see that in the Old Testament, God had called the King of Israel, who was a Messiah, a type of Christ, God called the King, the Messiah, his Son. So Son, Son of God, is actually a Messianic title. It's a title for the King, the Christ. So what you're being told here is, this is a message promised through the Scriptures by the Prophets, about his Christ, his Messiah, known as the Son of God. So it's promised beforehand about his Son. Then we're told a couple of things about the Son, that he would be a descendant of David, who, according to the flesh, was a descendant of David, verse 3. Now that's because when God promised this through the Old Testament, he said that the Messiah, the Christ, would come from King David's line. And there's a couple of references you can go away and check, if you like. Uh, 2 Samuel 7 is just one of those passages if you want to understand God's great plans in, in history, you need to know 2 Samuel 7, it's where God makes a promise to King David that one day I'll establish one of your descendants on the throne for all time. Right? There's that promise that the Messiah, the Christ, would come from David's line. Ezekiel 37 another place where you can see that sort of promise. Okay, so we're told that the Messiah is going to come from David's line. Now you think about how many Descendants, your great-grandparents have. Probably more than just you, right? They've got their kids, and then their kids, and then they get quite a lot, right? Well, you think if David, King David, lived a thousand years before the time of Jesus, how many descendants would King David have had? Quite a lot, okay? So yes, the Messiah is going to come from King David's line, but frankly, that's a lot of people. How do we know which one? is going to be the Messiah. Well, because we're then told. According to the flesh of the descendant of David, but then identified by his resurrection from the dead as the Christ. And who, I'm reading from verse 4, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God, that's the Messianic title, in power by his resurrection from the dead. That is, God has said, I will identify the one, who is the Christ, the one at the centre of all my purposes, from David's many descendants by raising him from the dead. Which is, of course, what the New Testament testifies happened to this Jesus of Nazareth. After he was crucified, he was raised from the dead three days later. And that's God saying, here he is. This is the one. Confirming for everybody that this is indeed the Christ. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Lord. So that's the God's great gospel announcement. Finally, I have said my Christ. That's the gospel. Now, just worth reflecting on that for a moment. First of all, why is this such good news? Now, we're going to discover why this is good news as we go right throughout the book of Romans. So I'm not going to spend long doing it now because we're going to get to it as we go on. But I'll just point this out. The reason it's such good news is because God's plan was always to restore the entire created order to have things the way he wanted them to be. 
God has a great restoration plan to restore not just human beings to a right standing with him, but to get rid of all the wickedness, all the sin, all the pain, all the suffering that frankly lives as a sort of blanket over our life. Now, I know that there's many great things in life. There's, I mean, I hope that you get to experience some of the wonderful great things in life and you experience that even now. But at the same time, unless you've got your head sort of fully wedged in the sand, you have to know that not all of life is great. I mean, Japan. More than 20,000 people. 20,000 individuals, count them, who have perished or lost through the earthquake and tsunami. 20,000. Can you imagine the grief that those who are left living feel for 20,000 who perished? And it's not just out there. I mean, just two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, tomorrow. I was at a funeral for a member of my extended family. You know, grief's not just out there, it's here. And I don't, I don't know your story, um, but I know that many of us have suffered real trauma in life. Bad things that shouldn't happen, but have. That's why God has a plan to actually restore us, restore indeed the whole created order to the way he wants things to be and central to that plan is that he's going to send his anointed one who stands at the centre of that plan and through whom he's going to commence that restoration project. That's why that Jesus has arrived as the one who is the Christ and stands at the centre of the plan is such good news which is why we want to share it. Because now there is hope for all of us. And so that's, I mean, and we'll, we'll see that. If we go through the book of Romans, we'll see that he'll, as Paul will draw out the richness of the great truths of this great plan of God, this great gospel, he'll apply it to our own hearts and how it's great good news here. He'll apply it indeed to the whole created order and how it's great good news there. He'll apply it to our interpersonal relationships and how it's great good news. That's what we're going to explore as we go through the book of Romans. But it's also just worth reflecting for a moment on why is it so important to get the centre of God's gospel right? If you haven't worked out, I'm spending most of my time on the left-hand side of your page. The right-hand side is almost there for decoration. Why is it important to get the gospel, the centre of the gospel right? Well, let me explain. I'll tell you why I think it is. Because at this point in time, if you've been around Christian things, you're thinking, well, yeah, great, good reminders here, but I'm not hearing anything particularly new. I want to suggest to you, though, if you really think about this and get the centre of the Gospel right, it's going to help you understand better some things that are in the Christian Bible, like judgement, the restoration of creation in Christian living. Let me just explain for a moment. Have you sometimes heard the Christian message, the Christian Gospel explained like this? You have a problem. You have a problem because of your sin. And you are going to face God one day. And you are going to suffer under his wrath for your sin. You have a problem. But praise God, he has a solution. It's Jesus, who's taken away your sin. 
And so the great good news for you is you can be forgiven. Have you heard the gospel presentation like that? Yes? yes? Nothing sounds too wacky there, does it? No, because it's all true, right? It's all true. It is all true. The problem is, did you hear in that great gospel announcement, where was the centre? Who was the focus? You were. Who's the focus of God's gospel, according to Romans chapter 1, 1 to 4? It's Jesus, isn't it? Isn't Jesus that's to be at the centre? But we, because we're so self-centred, we flip it all around and make it all about me. It's all about me and me getting forgiven or, or me getting eternal life or me being saved or me having the Holy Spirit dwell within me. Suddenly that's the centre of the gospel. Human-centred. Anthropocentric, if you want to write it down in a big word, just for the sake of it. But actually, no, the gospel is about what God has done in this one over here, Jesus. Now, out of that wonderful truth of what he's done in Jesus is the incredible blessing of forgiveness in which we can share. Out of who Jesus is and what God has done in Jesus flows the gift of the Holy Spirit, which he pours out into our hearts and minds. Out of what he's done there in Jesus and who Jesus is comes the gift of eternal life and the hope of the new creation. But do you see how it's, it's keeping Jesus at the focus? And I'll tell you why this is important, because you won't understand judgment otherwise. See, because normally, the fact that God is going to judge sin, sin is set up as the problem, isn't it? He's the problem, the wrath of God. Actually, you read Romans chapter 2, you know what Paul says, we'll get to next week. He says, Jesus Christ is going to judge the secret thoughts of all according to my gospel. So part of God's grand public announcement is that Jesus is going to judge sin. Well, hang on, in my arrangement I'd said that, that was the problem. No, no, Paul says, no, that's part of the good news that, God, that Jesus is going to judge sin. Well, hang on, I'm not getting my head around that. that doesn't, that's because I've got me at the centre, my salvation at the centre, rather than who Jesus and who he is in the great plans of God at the centre. If the great announcement is about who this man Jesus is, then yes, because he's Christ, because he's Lord, yes, he'll be judged, and what's more, that's going to be a good thing. But you'll have to come back next week to hear that. And for a, for a similar reason, it doesn't make sense of why is God going to restore all of creation? Why does that matter? As long as we're saved, why does it matter about the rest? You, you haven't understood who Jesus is and what God's plan is in Jesus. But you get to Romans chapter 8 and you'll see there, as Paul pulls apart the implications of this gospel, yes, God's plan is for the restoration of the whole of creation. It makes sense of Christian living, because otherwise if I'm forgiven, who cares how I live? No, no, but if you understand the gospel is about Jesus is Lord, Lord of all, then he's Lord not just of me now, but he's Lord of me for the rest of this day and tomorrow and for the rest of my life. And it's about how I live with him. You see, if you have Jesus at the centre, it makes more sense, actually, of the truths of the Bible proclaims. Okay, so we've talked about all of that. I want to move on. God has a gospel announcement, but he also has a gospel plan. His gospel plan is here in verses 5 and 6. Through Jesus, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to faith and obedience for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul's here talking about the fact that now, through this Jesus, the Christ, there is the opportunity for people from the Gentiles, as people who are not of a Jewish background, 
non-Jews, like my guess is most of us here, that people from a Gentile background can now belong to the one true people of God by putting faith in Jesus. Now this, the reason I'm pointing this out to you is because I've only got 11 talks to cover all of Romans. Romans has a lot of verses. You've seen how long it took me to do with the first four. So I've got to cut a lot of corners. I'm not going to do it by cutting truth. What I'm going to do is by most of the time, what I'm going to do is focus on a few verses, pull those apart, as we've just done, and then sort of signal to you some big themes that are going to recur throughout the letter so that when you're all reading the letter in more detail, you get the big picture, right? One of the big themes throughout the book is the fact that now, through this gospel, it is possible for the non-Jews, the Gentile people, to belong to the people of God through faith in this Messiah, this Christ, this Jesus. And it comes out lots of times later. It's introduced right here early. It uh, comes up right at, um, at the end where there's this same phrase that Paul's task under God is to work for the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. That's what he's doing. And it's used here right at the beginning and he uses it in the second last verse of the book. It sort of brackets the whole book. What Paul's task is under the plan of God is to work for the obedience of faith that comes from the Gentiles. And it's also raised a few other points. You can see, actually, in chapter 15, he makes a really big deal about it. That should say, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Here we go. God's mercy, chapter 15, verses 8 to 12. has a whole section. It's sort of really the climax of the letter. Chapter 16's got a whole lot of, you know, by the way, say hello to all the people I know. But chapter 15 is the climax. When he gets to the climax of chapter 15, he really does, does sort of say, praise God for the fact that all the Gentiles have been included into his people. And he just has all these Old Testament verses that he just does verse after verse after verse. Praise God, you Gentiles, for your inclusion. This has always been the plan of God to include the Gentiles. So it's a big theme there. Another key passage where it comes up is in chapter 11, where he says how the Gentiles have now, by God's grace, been grafted into his people, into these pictures of a tree, an olive tree. So this is a bit of a theme right throughout. Okay. So this is God's great gospel announcement. He sent his Christ and now the opportunity for the Gentiles to come into the people of God. And uh, this fits with Paul himself. And now what I'm really going to do, uh, I'm skip through this. This is just for your entertainment. This is the spread of the Christian gospel amongst the Gentiles in the last 2,000 years in the next three seconds. There's the year 1,000. There's the year 1,500. There's the year 1,910. And there's the year 2010. Okay? So, there you go. Rejoice, you Gentiles, good to Thanks. <laughs> God's, uh, Paul's gospel and ambition. You'll see that um, Paul understood himself to be God's chosen agent through whom the Gentiles might come to know Jesus. In fact, that's still true today. How do how do how do we come to know God's truth in Jesus more clearly? Well, through often through the Apostle Paul's writings. Right? He still had a testimony today to us Gentiles. But he was uh, identified here as God's chosen agent. You can read about it there in chapter 1. He talks about it, but also in chapter 15, verses 15 and 16, substantially. And Paul's particular gospel ambition, if you look up chapter 15, is that he wanted to proclaim Jesus in places where Jesus wasn't known. He'd been given this task by God, take this message of faith in Jesus Christ, take it to all the Gentiles. You read in chapter 15, he says, 
Since I've run out of places to proclaim Christ where I am now, which I think, frankly, is code for, I keep getting chased out of each town I visit because I proclaim Jesus too much and I get persecuted and so I have to keep running and I've sort of got no more places to go. So I better come to you guys in Rome because I've not been to Rome yet. And he actually says, I want to come to Rome that I might have a harvest among you. So he, he, he wants to go to Rome. That should say uh, chapter 1, verse 13. He wants to go to Rome and have a harvest amongst the Gentiles there in Rome. But then he says to them, I actually want to go on from there and I want to go on all the way to Spain. So keep going west and proclaim Jesus. Because this is his task. This is his gospel ambition. Proclaim Jesus where he is not known. So on he's going to do it. However, however, now this sets up this next bit of this I think sets up a large part of the reason he wrote the letter, which is why I want to talk about it. Why did Paul write this particular letter to the Roman Christians? It's because this is Paul's ambition to proclaim Jesus where he's not known, but he has a problem. Paul has a gospel problem. There are lots of tensions among the believers. So, Paul's here, right? Running out of places to proclaim Jesus, wants to go to Rome. However, he hears that there's problems in Rome amongst the Christians. The Christians are fighting with each other. What are they fighting about? Well, the point is, in Rome, most of the Christians there were Gentiles by background, but there were also some Jewish believers in Jesus. People came from a Jewish background and they wanted to keep the Old Testament law, a matter of conscience for them. They felt, actually, they wanted to keep it and they thought everybody really should keep it, if they're serious. So there's this tension going on in the church in Rome. What's more, it wasn't just a polite tension. The Gentiles were being condemning of the Jewish believers and the Jewish believers were judging the Gentile believers. So they're sinning against each other. And you can chase that up in chapter 14, verses 3 and verses 10. This, so Paul's writing a letter he's going, I've got a problem over there. There's a pastoral problem. I've got to address the problem. God's people are not living in peace and unity with one another. They're sinning against each other. I've got to fix that up. However, this was causing him an even greater headache, right? Because news was getting around that the Gentile believers in Jesus were making trouble for the Jewish believers in Jesus. And news had got back all the way to the east, to Jerusalem, to the Christians in Jerusalem, most of whom were Jewish in background. And they're going, Paul, he just causes problems. He goes round... All these Gentiles believe in Jesus and then they really pressure the Jewish believers in Jesus and make life hard for them. So the Jews, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, they're pretty grumpy. Paul has been trying to collect money from Gentile believers to take to the Jerusalem believers because they're suffering under sort of um, a famine. He's collecting money. He says, I want to come to you in Rome, then go to Spain, but first I've got to go to Jerusalem because I'm taking this offering to them. And I'm worried about actually just pray that it might be actually acceptable to them. Why would it not be acceptable? It's money. They need money. Because they know actually, Paul, you're causing all sorts of headaches for our Jewish believers in Jesus around the world. As the Gentiles. Paul has a problem. He's got to fix what's going on in Rome, but he's also worried about what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. So he writes this letter. He writes this letter to try to address the situation in Rome so that when he gets to Jerusalem, there might be a bit of calm. Better things to report. Okay? Now, we're gonna, if you didn't follow all that, you, went, well, you lost me there as soon as you clicked that button. 
Um, that's okay because this will come up a number of times and I'll probably do it a bit slower at some point. Okay. So that's Paul's gospel ambition. Let's wrap it up. You could imagine, given that scenario, that the Apostle Paul had lots of reasons to go, you know what, this is all too hard work. Like Rome, the Roman Christians are fighting each other, Jerusalem, they don't like me, I'm being chased out of town after town. This is, frankly, I might just, you know, go and have a holiday. A permanent holiday. Go to the Bahamas. They probably didn't know where the Bahamas existed. But anyway, <laughs> why not just do that? Why, why stick at this? Frankly, that sounds stressful. He says, you know what? I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Why not? Two reasons that he gives in chapter 1, 16, 17, which we're not going to look at in detail now, partly because these two verses set the trajectory for the whole rest of the letter. So we're actually going to look at these verses quite a lot as we go right throughout the letter. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, you know, this announcement about Jesus, it is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes, from the Jew and from the Gentile. He knows that through this announcement about Jesus, God is saving people as they put their faith in him. So he's not going to be ashamed. And so, point to finish, I just want to say, Paul had lots of reasons to be ashamed of the gospel. I guess we have some reasons to be ashamed of the gospel. Are you going to be ashamed of the gospel? Are you going to be ashamed of the gospel in your tutes, amongst your friends, with your family? You know, this great gospel, this announcement of Jesus, is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes. Don't be ashamed of this gospel. On Monday, when I made my announcement about my phone, here it is, my phone. I made this announcement about my phone on Facebook. I have a new phone! Like, 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 like. <laughs> <laughs> it no longer works. Can you believe it? I spent all day pressing the on button and it shakes and nothing happens. I press the on button, it shakes and nothing happens. And then I get out to work for a moment and then it turns itself off. Do I feel a bit ashamed about the announcement I made? I have a new phone! It's awesome! Yeah, I feel a bit stupid. <laughs> I had my other phone for eight years and never worked. This one lasted less than a week. So yeah, I feel a bit ashamed. It was a stupid announcement. So you should feel ashamed of things that you know you have no confidence in. But you know what? This gospel about Jesus, it is the power of God, the one true living God for salvation for any of us. You don't need to be ashamed of that. So don't be ashamed. Thanks very much for being here.